You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Gosh, what is it called? No, he wrote Seeing Jesus, but it's about Luke chapter 15. I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, I'm reading a book by the same guy who wrote Seeing Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And uh, the book is phenomenal. Oh, my God, the book is phenomenal. Um, And I'm going to share some things that I've taken from the book, some things that I had been meditating on a couple months ago that the Lord started making connections for me personally. Um, And so I'm very excited. I think you're going to be blessed this morning. Are you ready to be blessed? Do me a favor. Say, I will be blessed. I will be greatly blessed. blessed. And Matthew is good looking. looking. Amen. Two or more are gathered. I have to take advantage of it. Sorry. So let's dive into the word one more time. And I just love to pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here. I ask that you would make me successful this morning. I ask that you would give me good success this morning. And Father, that no one would see me, that everyone would see you. That everyone would see you. And in seeing you, your word says you will transform all of us. So, Father, transform everyone in here under the sound of my voice. Where healing needs to happen, let it happen. Father, where favor needs to happen, let it happen. Where protection and victory needs to happen, let protection and victory happen. You are our heavenly Father. You love us. You are the God of this universe. Nothing is impossible for you. So move for those that you love this morning. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. So let's dive right into it. And I knew that was going to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my Bible this morning. Good old fashioned Bible. But aren't you glad that we have both? You can see it. But for me, I'm going to have to do all this. So I'll tell you what, I'll use my Bible. I'll bounce back and forth between what I can see. And I'm not going to walk in front of the screen all morning. Isaiah 54, verse 9. Now, Isaiah says this, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. Now, God is speaking. He says, For me, this is like the waters of Noah. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. (laughs) Where are we at? Isaiah 54, what is this? Verse 9. He says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Now I put that in gold because, you know, I want to start somewhere where we're all familiar. What is the Lord saying? I want you to know this. No matter what it looks like in your life, no matter what you hear on TV, what you hear on the radio, no matter who is preaching or talking to you, co-workers alike, no matter who it is, I don't care how long they've walked with the Lord, no matter who it is, if they stand up and tell you that God is angry at you, you have a sure, solid guarantee and a swear from God himself that God himself has sworn Now you say, well, Matthew, well, this is Old Testament. You are absolutely right. And you know what comes before Isaiah 54? 53. Do you know why? Because 54 comes after 53. No, in Isaiah 53, God says, hey, this is my son, my servant who will come and all your mistakes will be put on him. And he uses this term, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us like sheep, we have gone astray. And yet God took all of our wanderings, God took all of our failures, all our mistakes, and God put it on him. And there in Isaiah 53, you see the serpent beaten so bad that in Isaiah 53, he says he was marred so much that he didn't even have the appearance of a human being anymore. I know the pictures of Jesus on the cross, we still see the arms, the legs, the head, the feet. We see it all. It's beautiful, right? And then even in the Passion, yes, he is just bloody from head to toe. But even at that, the Bible says in one place in Psalm, David said of of, of Christ, all my bones are exposed. (laughs) Even his bones were exposed. Are you with me? and, and, And in Isaiah 53, even the appearance of a man was taken from him. What it looked like was flesh hanging on a cross. That's how bad he was beaten. And God took all our wonderings and put it on him. And everyone said, 
Now, knowing that, knowing that, God looks at us on this side of the cross and God says, I swear to you, because of him, I will swear to you, I'll never be angry with you. I swear to you. Now, I don't have to swear to you, but I'm swearing to you so that you'll never think one day I'll change, one day I'll go back and forth. This is the fifth time you've asked me for forgiveness. This is the tenth time we're going around this mountain. Why are we still talking about this? No, no, no. I swear to you, I'll never be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you again. I love it. Now, we can live here, but let's keep going. And the, uh, nor, I'm sorry, for the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed, but my covenant of peace... I'm sorry, but my kindness shall not be depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Then verse 10. Oh, you tossed and afflicted one. Let me see if it shows up up here. Okay. That is not going to work. Anyways. He says, oh, you afflicted one tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems. I will lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates with crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. Now watch this. He says, oh, you afflicted. Now let me, let me, let me give you a little bit of tidbit of personal Bible study time. When you read Isaiah 54, he starts off by saying, sing, O barren woman. Right? Now, Keep in mind, let's follow the train of thought. Isaiah 53, Jesus suffers. Isaiah 54, verse 1, sing, O barren woman. What's the picture? You have been barren. You're not fruitful. You're not bearing fruit. People are making fun of you. You are failing at everything in life. You are the, uh, the, 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 the punchline of every joke. Everyone sees that you're not winning in life. Everyone sees that you're failing. All the women are giving birth to children. You're the only one not giving birth. Everything looks like it's against you. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in Isaiah 53. and Isaiah 54, verse 1, he says, start singing. <laughs> start singing. Yeah. Well, I don't have the children yet. It doesn't matter. You'll have more than all of those who had children before you. Amen. Then he says, and, and don't, stop, don't stop there. Sing. But while you're singing, start to stretch your tent out. Start stretching your tent out. No, we don't live in tents anymore, all right? What does he say? Start making room. Clean that dirty room out and get ready for the child that's on the way. Amen. I start opening up, open up another bank account. Well, this one's not filled up yet. You're absolutely right. But open up more. And everyone said, start preparing for me to expand you. Because in Isaiah 53, the son suffered. Isaiah 54, God is saying, now start moving, start moving, start moving. Because the dam is broken, start moving. The water is about to flood your world. And everyone said, so start expanding, start getting ready for what God is about to do. He starts saying, start singing. And then he says, everyone who made fun of you, listen, you'll have more than all of them. And then he goes on to say this, all in Isaiah 54. He says this, yes, there was a time where I hid my face from you. There was a time I hid my face from you. But that time has passed, beloved. That time has passed. For I will never be angry with you. I will never rebuke you. My covenant of peace will never be taken from you. The earth will shake and tremble. The mountains will depart. The hills will be removed. But I promise to you, I swear to you, I am for you. Then he comes to here and says, oh, you afflicted one. Now, when you see it in progression, what do you see? It's a picture of someone who's been beaten down. Someone who's just been beaten down. In fact, the word afflicted right here in the Hebrew is the word any, any, which comes from the word ana. Now, any means poor, afflicted and humble. But the word ana, the root word of any, ana literally means someone who's been forced to bow down. Someone who's been forced to bow down. Instead of holding your head up, you've been forced to look down at the ground. Instead of being able to stand up in front of everyone and say, I have been set free, you're still saying, no, I'm still in bondage. Instead of being able to say, I can give to this person because my, my, my bank account is running over, you're saying, well, I can't give it this week because I don't have it. God is saying, every one of you that have had to been forced to bow down, oh, you tossed and afflicted one who's been tossed around like the storm that comes and makes the waters move. To you, what does the Lord say? Behold. I will lay your stones with colorful gems. Now he starts to refer to us as if we are a city. He's talking to the nation of Israel. But don't forget, they are not all Israel who are Israel. The promises that God gives them belong to all of us. Now it's not saying we replaced Israel, but he's saying we've been grafted in. So the same promises that fall on them that they missed because they missed their Messiah, we all receive. Right? So what does he say? Hey, look, I will lay your stones with colorful gems. You'll no longer be tossed around anymore. What the enemy throws at you won't move you anymore. I'm going to remove the button so he can't push it and make you jump anymore. All right. And he says what? I'll lay your foundation with sapphire. Can you say sapphire? Does anyone know what color sapphire is? What color is it? Blue. 
Interesting color. Yes. That color blue. What color is the sky? Blue. What color is grace? Green. No, blue. Good night. Hey, hey, but hey, if you don't, if you don't get it, you never get it right, right? You'll never get it right. No, watch this. The beauty in Revelation, the sky becomes what color? Do you know? The sky becomes green. The ground becomes blue. Grace comes down. Green speaks of new, new covenant. You're in a new covenant. Everywhere you look up, you'll see the new covenant. When, even when you look down on the ground in depression, you'll see everything is blue. God's grace is manifesting. Mm, I love it. Are you with me? So he says, hey, I'm going to establish you. Your foundation will be grace. It'll be suffering. It'll be grace. I'll make your pinnacles of rubies. Pinnacles is an interesting word. They're not really sure. Some say, well, it's a window. And then someone comes behind that person and says they didn't really have windows like we do. Windows were higher. So it couldn't have been a window. A pinnacle could have been uh, the top of a tower. And then some people say, well, it's not the top. It's the whole. Nobody really knows. And then one person came out and said, it's a shield. Don't know how he got that. Irrelevant. The point is, your pinnacles are rubies. What color are rubies? What does red speak of in the Bible? The blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. Whether it's the window that you look out of, you'll see through blood. Whether it's the shield you hold up, it'll be the blood that protects you. No matter what you do, God is saying, hey, guess what? I don't care what you think it is. The, your pinnacles will be made of rubies. The blood of Jesus will cover you every which way. Oh, hallelujah. Your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. Do you know that you are a precious stone on the high priest's garment? Yes. You are a precious stone. He says, that's what I'm going to make you. Mm. He loves you. Are you with me? Now, all of this comes because of what? You were tossed and afflicted. You were forced to bow down. You were attacked and no one could comfort you. And he says, beloved, I am coming to comfort you. And you know how he ends Isaiah 54? You know how he ends it? You know what he says? Weapons will be formed against you. But no matter how many are formed, no matter what type of weapon they are, know that it didn't come from me. And I promise you, that no weapon formed against you, no matter how many they are, they will never work against you. And that's how he ends the chapter. Mm. Isaiah 54. Now I want you to come back to something just for a moment, just to show you this. Isaiah 54 in verse 10, he says this. He says, like the waters of Noah, that I swore that, I'm sorry, verse 9, he says that I would not be angry with you. God says, I will never be angry with you. But I want you to know, he says, with who? With you. Now, it is inaccurate to preach that God has no more anger. As far as you are concerned, there is no more anger. All God's anger fell on Jesus at the cross for all of us. God is not angry with us, but there is still anger in God against sin. When Jesus comes back, he raptures all of us. We are taken out of this world. Guess what happens? (laughs) Judgment will come. So it is inaccurate to preach there's no anger. No, there is anger, but there's no anger for you. There's no anger for us in Christ. Now, when you look at God's anger, let me say this. I always love to talk about God's heart. I don't like to talk about God's anger very much. But did you know that even when God is angry, it still works out for you? No matter how bad it is, when God is angry, it still means something good is going to happen for you. When God is happy, he blesses you. When God is happy, he loves you, he, he favors you. When God is angry, let me say this, he will always move and it works out for you every single time. Now watch this. There's only one place in the New Testament that we can specifically see Jesus was angry. Now years ago, I remember, I'll never forget, I was working at the place I'm working at now. This is like 10 years ago plus. And I'll never forget, at this time, the Lord was starting to speak to me or I was beginning to hear the voice of the Lord for the first time. He always speaks. We just aren't always listening. So I was beginning to listen for the first time. And as I was listening, one of the things the Lord brought me to was anger. So I said, okay, the one place the Lord was angry was when Jesus came into the temple with the whip, right? And he chased everyone out. And I I specifically, as God is my witness, I specifically heard the Lord say, find the word anger there. So I went and I looked and I said, it's implied, but it's not there. It was a couple weeks later, I heard a great man of God stand up and preach the same sermon. God was not Jesus. You don't see that Jesus was angry there. And I knew that I heard from the Lord. I said, oh man. Now, let me say this. Back in that place where Jesus took the whip and chased everyone out and said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. The Bible never says he was angry. It does quote from Isaiah, zeal for your house, zeal for your house. But even that word can be translated to something else. So what, where can we find one place Jesus was angry? Does anyone know? Oh, you know, I'm sorry. He was in the temple. Does anyone know the story? No, no. I'll show you. Mark chapter 3. 
that is not going to work for me. Mark chapter 3. I'll read it for you. Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Mark chapter 3. Now watch this. In Mark chapter 3, pick up at verse 1. It says, And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and there was a man there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. They being the Pharisees, they watched him closely. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now let me, let me, let me explain something to you. When God made the Sabbath day on the, on, on, when God created the world, he made the Sabbath day. And what did God do on that day? He rested, right? He rested. Now, I don't think it's a secret to anyone, but let's just say it out loud. Did you know that doctors and, and, and most of us would agree, whether you go to a doctor or not, your body begins to repair itself when you rest. There's a reason why God said work six days, rest on number seven. Don't do any work. Because all the damage you might have done to yourself on the six days, on day number seven, if you'll sit back, relax, kick your feet up and rest, your body will begin to repair itself. You don't need seven days of rest. You just need one. And that one day of rest will take care of the other six days you hurt yourself. Right? Now, the reason why I'm saying that is this. The natural process that God created in every human being, whether they follow Jesus, whether they're in Christ or not, God has given everyone this natural process that if you will rest, you will get well. Are you with me? If you will rest, you will get well. Now, it comes to the man with the withered hand. He hasn't been able to do a lot. So there are some things that go beyond the natural process. And anything beyond that, let me say this. Jesus is waiting across that line going, please, meet me on the other side, brother. (laughs) Meet me on the other side. So keep in mind, keep in, keep in mind, in the Old Testament, God says, if a man has a, a, a withered hand, if he's lame, if he's maimed, if he's deaf, if he's blind, if there's anything wrong with you, you are not allowed to come into the presence of God. You're not even allowed to come into the assembly of God's people because you have a problem. Now, it seems backwards. Today, I say, if you have a problem, please come. Please come. <laughs> you are prime real estate as far as I'm concerned. No one wants you because you have problems. Come. You're welcome. All right. But in the Old Testament, because of the law, God says anyone with a problem, you can't come in. So Jesus is in this synagogue. He's teaching and all the Pharisees are around and a man with a withered hand walks in. Now, most of us know the story. Jesus sees the man with the withered hand. And in verse three, Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath, on the day of rest to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, all of us know the answer to that, right? Because we love Jesus, but they didn't love Jesus. <laughs> and they still knew the answer, but they knew if they answered him, they would be coming against him. So watch this, verse five. And when he looked around at them with anger, you see that word? And when he looked around at them with anger, this is the only time you'll see Jesus said, the Bible says Jesus was angry. This is it. There's no other place. Why was Jesus angry? Let's read on. Why was Jesus angry? He looked around with them, looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. What made him angry was that their heart was so hard that they wouldn't even say, heal this man. They knew he could do it, but they wouldn't even ask him to do it because they were so angry at him. Oh, man. (laughs) Now, what happens to the man in the story? What happens? Let's keep reading. What happens to the man? Verse five. And when he looked around with them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and was, it was restored as whole as the other. When Jesus is angry, you get healed. I love it. When Jesus is angry, you get delivered. When Jesus is angry, favor and prosperity pour into your life. I'm telling you, when God is angry now, it always works out for you. We were terrified. In Hebrews, the Bible says, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And I'm telling you, he, when he said that, he's talking to people who had not bowed their knee to Jesus. But all of us are in Christ. It is an awesome thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Because when God gets angry, my God, he puts you behind him and says, who would dare come against my child? Who would dare speak out against my beloved? What problem stands in front of you? What giant is yelling at you? Stand behind me so I can fix this problem. I love it. When Jesus gets angry, people get healed. (laughs) Oh, I'm telling you. And let me say this. We said this a while back. We were talking about Samson a couple weeks ago in in a message. When Samson was angry at the Philistines, 
He knew he had made a mistake. He knew he was blind and he was standing in the presence of all his enemies mocking him because of what he did wrong. But when he prayed to God, he knew one thing. God hates the Philistines as much as I hate the Philistines. So we can work together. Let me say this. Even when you sin, know this. God hates that sickness just as much and more than you. And God is angry. So in his anger, let him be God. My God. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. When he gets angry, people get healed. Let's, let's be selfish. When he gets angry, we get healed. When he gets angry, we get blessed. Oh my God, we get blessed. Next time someone challenges you at work. I read this last night. I read this. Let the Lord, it was in Romans. He said this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So, and Paul says this. So, since the Lord wants to be the one who executes revenge, you pray for them. You love them. Let him take care of the revenge. Let him take care of avenging you. He will avenge you. You don't worry about it. You just pray. You be better than them. I love it. It's in Romans. I think Romans 10 or 11. It was, it was awesome. I had an awesome time with the Lord last night. All right. So again, when he gets angry, we get healed. Now, let me show you all this. Now, I don't want to show you the whole entirety of everything. Like I said, we don't have enough time to cover all of it. We'll do the best we can. Now, we're going to skip over to Luke chapter 14. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can skip over to Luke 15, but I'm not going to go there yet because I want to give you some backdrop, some context. All right. Now, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus walks into the house of a Pharisee. They invite him. They say, Jesus, come eat with us. So while Jesus is in the house, the Bible says he sits down to eat. And while they're sitting or while he he hasn't sat down yet, he walks in to sit down. And as he's about to sit down, he realizes everyone in the house is sitting down where they think the best seats are, right? The people who are the most important go to the best seats first, and then they start to sit. Everyone goes for the best seats. Now, Jesus probably would have had a seat reserved for him because he's the guest. But when he looks, he realizes everyone's sitting the way they think they should sit. He says this, when you go to a party, never sit at the best seat. Lest someone at the party, more important than you, shows up. And the owner of the party says, we need you to go find a lower seat. (laughs) And then you have to be embarrassed and ashamed. Never pick the best seat at the party. Clearly, no one gave Jesus the rules on how to make friends. Because when he's invited, he tells everyone else what's wrong with him. Now, keep in mind, when he walks in, the Bible says in Luke 14, 1, they were watching him to see what he would do. So when he comes into the house of the Pharisee, he's not really welcome. He's not really, uh, um, he, he doesn't find comfort. He doesn't find joy. He finds scrutiny. They're putting the magnifying glass. What is he going to do? They're always waiting for him to make a mistake. So because you want me to make a mistake, he looks at them and says, fine, you want something? Don't go to a party and sit at the best. Then he looks at the owner of the house, the owner of the party, the one who invited everyone. Then he says this, and you, you ready? And you don't invite everyone who can repay you. Instead, when you throw a party, go invite a whole bunch of people who can never repay you. And then God himself will repay you. He didn't read the book on how to make friends. <laughs> so he says that to the owner, of the, the, the owner of the house, the one who invited everyone. On his way out the door, someone says, oh man, what a great day will be at the great banquet feast of heaven. <laughs> oh man. Then he says this. There was a feast that was thrown by a great man. Talking about God. I'm paraphrasing. God threw a great feast. He called his unnamed servant to him. Who is the unnamed servant? The Holy Spirit. He called his unnamed servant and said, go out and go bring all the people I invited to my party. The first one came and said, I can't come because I just bought land. The second one said, I can't come because I just bought some oxen and I need to test them out. The third one said, I have a wife. Best excuse of all. Then <laughs> the owner says, you're telling me nobody will come. And I threw this amazing feast and none of them will come. And the servant says, what do you want me to do? And the Jesus, Jesus says, the owner in his anger. Oh, I love it. In his anger said, go back out into the streets. Find everyone who is poor. Find everyone who is lame. Find everyone who is depressed. Find everyone who is blind, who is deaf, who is new. Go find everyone who is suffering and bring them into my house. And the servant brought everyone in and said, there's still room. He said, now go back out into the highways and the byways and find everyone else you can find. Because everyone who was invited, none of them will come in. Everyone who was not invited at first, they will all be brought in. Now, there's the feast that God wants. This man says, whoa, the, 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 the great banquet wedding feast will be beautiful. Yeah, it'll be beautiful for everyone else, not for you. You self-righteous. 
them know they have no righteousness. And it will be awesome for them. Then he walks out the door. Now, when you see the house, you always see the house of Israel. He came into his own, his own received him not. It's a picture of Jesus speaking to the Jews and they were always watching him. What makes, and they rejected their Messiah. So he says, fine, I'll go out of the house. He leaves the house and he walks by the Sea of Galilee. We were there. (laughs) I say that like every Sunday, but we were there. He walks by the Sea of Galilee. And as he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, the Bible says that the people followed him. Some Pharisees and some people who weren't allowed to come in. Some sinners. So he walks out there. And anytime you see a sea in the Bible, it speaks of the nations of the world, the Gentiles. And when he's standing there, he turns around, he sees the people come and he says this. You want to follow me? This is what it costs you. Count the cost because it's not an easy thing. You must bear up your cross if you want to follow me. And he says this to the Gentiles, the people in the world. Are you ready? This is what he says to them. When a king, I'm sorry, when a man goes out to to build a building, he always looks at how much he has in in his bank account. Lest he start building and he can't finish it. Then everyone makes fun of him because he started something he can't finish. Parable number one. Parable number two, he says this. Does a king go into war without looking at how many men he has? Does he not judge how many people he should take into battle if he has enough? Because if he doesn't have enough, he'll send someone to go say, look, let's make peace because I can't win this one. Right? Parable number two. What is he saying? Count the cost. Want to be my disciple? Count the cost. Count the cost. And what a heavy cost it is. You want to follow me? Pick up your own cross. He hasn't picked it up yet, but he's saying, you want to follow me? Pick up your own cross. Now the church has taught that for years. Pick up your cross, brother. Pick up your cross. Let me say this. He says this to the people of the world. He's standing beside the sea. The third parable is this. Salt is good. Salt is good. But if salt loses its flavor, it has no point. It has no purpose. It's only good to be thrown out into the world. It's nothing. Now, saying that, what is he saying this? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You want to follow me? Count the cost of being called my disciple. Count the cost. Then he says this. It's going to cost you grace. Where they failed in the house, you cannot fail with me. Because if you lose your grace, I have no need for you anymore. Salt is only good as long as it has its seasoning. But when it loses its seasoning, I can't use it anymore. It's only going to be tossed out. Third parable. Again, no one taught him how to make friends. He turns around and he keeps walking. Now listen, it was rough in the house. It was rough by the sea. Where is Jesus going to be loving and gracious? Oh, the loving Jesus we all know. Now I'm coming to an end. Where, where, where are we going to see that? We come to Luke 15, verse 1. Now watch this. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then, are you ready? <laughs> then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Are you ready? Now we're not going to read all three parables because there is way too much to cover. But we are going to try to get through the first two. We'll try. All the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near. I told you all that because I want you to see what happened. Jesus is in the house. He's not comfortable. Israel. He goes to the world. The world is still rejecting. We want to follow you. You want to follow me, but you, but you know what's going to cost you grace. You're going to have to have grace. You're going to have to put your pride aside and say, I am like those weak, lame people who were not invited. If you can do that, then we can talk. Then he walks away. After he gives these six parables, we come to Luke chapter 15. We're going to get three more parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, plural. I know we call it the prodigal son, but let me say this, both were lost. Okay? So we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep first. Now, I want you to watch this. When all the tax collectors and sinners draw near to him, we pick up at verse 1 in chapter 15. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now let me say this, to eat with someone is more than saying, let's go out to eat after church. In that culture back then, and even to this, to, the, to this day, today still, if you're in Middle East and someone says, come eat with me, if you reject their offer, it's a great dishonor and disrespect. Still, great dishonor and disrespect. Now the reason being is because when you eat with someone, what you're saying is, I approve of this person. I favor this person. I am in a fellowship and a bond with this person. Are you with me? When Abraham saw the Lord, what did he do? He brought him to his tent and said, come and eat. Nine months later, the promise was in his hands. Are you with me? When God brought, came down on Mount Sinai and said, here is the covenant. He said, Moses, bring up the elders, the 70 elders. You and Joshua come up and let's sit down and eat. And then you'll get the covenant. Are you with me? When Jacob was running from his father-in-law Laban, and I will never run from mine. His name is not Laban. 
when Jacob, when Jacob was running from his father-in-law Laban, the Bible says when Laban finally caught up to him and Laban defended himself, I'm sorry, Jacob defended himself to Laban, the Lord moved for him. Laban said, I realize I have wronged you. Don't pick up your hand against me, your father-in-law, please. He said, let's sit down and let's eat and make a covenant. You'll never come against me. Are you with me? Every time you sit down and eat with someone, it means you're moving into something with that person. We go out to eat, it means nothing of the same. I might eat with you, it doesn't mean I still like you. I love you, all right? <laughs> you get my point, right? So when they say Jesus is eating with sinners, what they're saying is Jesus approves of sinners. How can Jesus approve of sinners? Now, I know that there are some sinners that are following him, but when this story happens, it's the Pharisees and the scribes that are the closest to Jesus at this point. And now they're complaining. You wouldn't eat with us, the righteous ones of Israel. You won't eat with us, but you'll eat with sinners. How does that work? And then, oh, then we come to verse three. So Jesus spoke this parable to them and said this. Are you ready? We pick up at verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which he lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just, just persons who need no repentance. Now let's, let's, let's pick apart this parable verse by verse. Can we do that? Now there are some things I want to share, but some things I'm not. Just for the sake of time, and I don't want to get too lost in all the, the beauty of this parable. Where are we at? Oh, that is not the verse we're supposed to be looking at. Here we go. Jesus says in verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now I want you to keep in mind, keep, think about it for a moment. You are a shepherd. Let's say you're a shepherd. Okay? You have a hundred sheep you are responsible for. You are on your way back home with a hundred sheep. You stop for a break. You look up. You realize you only have ninety-nine. Now, let me ask you something. When you get back to the village, whose fault is it that the sheep is lost? Why don't we blame the sheep? Think about it. I mean, I'm serious. Why don't we blame the sheep? Because you're supposed to be watching it. Why have we been blaming people in the church for failing when they were supposed to be watched by someone else? Are you with me? For years, we have been blaming God's sheep. For years, we've been blaming God's flock. You're only out there doing all this because you need to get right. You're only doing all these things because you won't do what you're supposed to. You're suffering all these things because of you. It's all because of you. And all the while, whose fault is it really? You see, when you put it in that context, all of a sudden, and everyone's so quiet. Everyone's like, <laughs> you're trying to put it together in your head. But it doesn't it make sense. I mean, this is not a new theology. I'm going to show you why in just a second. It's not a new theology. It's not. God put shepherds over his flock and said, you are responsible for the flock. Let me say this. I just wanted to be a pastor. I was like, man, I, I love sharing God's word with people. And then I saw this parable. <laughs> then I saw this parable. And keep in mind, in order to be a shepherd, when the sheep have a lot of flies on them, you have to get the oil and rub the sheep down. When a sheep falls in the mud, you have to pick the sheep up, wash it off, rinse it off, wash yourself off. Pharisees saw shepherding as an unclean job because your hands are so dirty all day. It's an unclean job. They said, look, God might call himself a shepherd in the old. David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. The greatest leaders that they had were all shepherds. And he said, but the Pharisees, they themselves said, shepherding is an unclean job. So we don't mess with sheep. We'll have other people in the temple sell sheep for us so we get the money. But we ourselves will never be shepherds. When Jesus comes, he says, which of you, to the Pharisees and the scribes, had a hundred sheep, you lost one. Don't you leave the 99 to go get the one? Now, let me say this. That would be stupid. Because a shepherd who leaves 99 to go get one comes back to find the 99 gone. Eaten by wolves. Mauled by bears. All right? That's not a smart shepherd. But Jesus is saying, he's not saying, I am careless He's not saying I am reckless. I don't care about the 99. Let me show you what Jesus is actually saying. Look at this in Ezekiel 36. I'm sorry, Ezekiel, where is it? Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, God is prophesying through the mouth of Ezekiel. And he says this, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. In fact, let me find it. Ezekiel 34, verse 
two. I got the old school uh, cord hanger from my Bible. I love it. <laughs> Ezekiel 34, look at verse two. He says, this son of man prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? I'll let that settle inside you for a moment. Verse three, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. We point no fingers. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed the broken. I'm sorry. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed the broken. I'm sorry, those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep, God says, wandering through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. God is angry. God is angry. I put pastors over my people and instead of feeding them, you took from them. Instead of helping them, you hurt them. Instead of healing them, you just did what you thought you should always do and no one was made better. And because of your lack, now they're all scattered. And instead of going out and finding them, you stayed right where you were and you blamed the sheep. You know what shepherds would do back then? I read this in a book. You know what they would do? If they lost a sheep, they would come back and say a wolf caught it and they had to fight the wolf off. But the wolf still won. And that way, if you lose a sheep, you don't have to go find it. Do you understand? I can save myself the effort of finding a lost sheep if I just tell everyone the sheep was killed. And if no one knows any different, who's to say I'm wrong? Are you with me? And God is saying, because you refuse to go find my sheep, because you refuse to go find my people. Let me say this for all of us in the name of Jesus. There have been some who refuse to find you and your children. And God is saying, because you refused, they refuse to find them. Keep in mind, they are my sheep. God is angry. You see, this is a beautiful, oh, he leaves the 99. What is Jesus saying? You lost the sheep. But watch what he, oh, watch this. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Watch this. In verse 11, he says this. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is, on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered. You can read the rest of it for yourself. Long story short, he says this, I will bring them back. I will find every one of you that is lost. I will be the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, he says, hey, I'm following the Lord. I lie down in green pastures. Then he says, but now I'm walking through the, through the valley of the shadow of death. I stopped following the shepherd. And I'm that sheep that got lost. I'm that sheep that wandered off, thought I was following everyone else in the flock. And I looked up and realized I'm alone. (laughs) Where is everyone else at? (laughs) Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, I'm sick. Lord, I feel like I'm alone in this room full of people. Lord, what, what happened? Only to turn around and see your rod and your staff comfort me. And we've been teaching for years. Well, he breaketh the legs of thou sheep. And yet Jesus never said, behold, I breaketh the legs of the sheep. He said, I put it on my shoulders. (laughs) and I carry it home. In Psalm 23, he said, I was terrified in the valley, but I turned around and saw it was your rod and your staff. Those gave me comfort, not fear. They gave me comfort. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Are you with me? He says, you lost the nine, you lost one. And I'm not going to praise you because you kept the 99 safe. I'm wondering why you didn't go find the one. Because you left the one in the wilderness. He says, I'm going to go find it. I'm going to go find it. And when I find the one, what will he do? He puts it on his shoulders. I mean, we have it up here. What does he say? When I find the one, read Ezekiel for yourself. It's beautiful. Where is it at? Did I miss it? Here it is. He says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He lays it on his shoulders, singing. He lays it on his shoulders, not saying, why did you walk away? He doesn't lay it on the shoulders and say, you failed again. He doesn't do that. He doesn't complain the entire time home. I had to come find you. I have to save you again. He starts singing and dancing. I'm telling you, every time you run to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how I got here. Lord, this is happening. Lord, this is happening. He sees you like a sheep that he gets to put on his shoulders. He gets to put on his shoulders. When the Pharisees heard this, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You see, we see it as Jesus saying, I am the shepherd. I had the hundred. I lost one. I'll go find the one. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was saying, you are the shepherds, but I'll go find the one. 
Because all of you care too much about yourself to go find one. So I will go find the one. And when I find the one, I'll put it on my shoulders and I will rejoice. Now again, I ask you, if you go home missing one sheep, who is the village going to point the blame at? The sheep or at the shepherd? At the shepherd. Jesus says, when I come back home, I'll call all the neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I found the lost sheep. Wait a second. Aren't they going to blame the shepherds? Aren't they going to blame the shepherd? Aren't they going to blame him? And he says, look, look, when I saw this, I'm telling you, oh man. He would rather them get the wrong impression about him than they ever look at you. When it came to the Pharisees, he would rather them think he was evil so that sinners would always run to him for salvation. Are you with me? Every time someone looks at you and says, how can you, how can you? He would rather people get the wrong impression about him so that he can save you and protect you. He cares that much about you. Mm. That made, oh, that made me excited. It may not have done it for you, but it did it for me. Man, what time is it? Okay, where are we at? Rejoice me for I lost my, for I found my lost sheep. Then he says this, for behold, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. In the Old Testament, repentance was uh, get down on your knees, beg God, beg God. Jesus comes with a brand new theology. Are you ready? Repentance in the Greek, meta, noia. Meta means change, noia, mind. Put the two together, change your mind. And what does he say? There'll be more joy in the presence of angels over one person who changes their mind. Changes their mind in what way? That they stop running, they stand still like a sheep and they just cry out. Whenever a sheep wanders off in Israel, they would say this. A sheep would go find a shelter and sit there and just cry. And just cry for hours. And the shepherd would start the hunt. And you got to listen for the cry. And when you hear the cry, you, you follow all the way to the sheep and you pick the sheep up and you go. Jesus saying repentance is not begging me so that I'll pick you up. He's saying just stand still and cry. And if you'll just stand still and cry, let me pick you up. You repented. And I'm telling you, there's more joy in the presence. Not even the, the angels will rejoice, but he doesn't focus on the angels. He says there's more joy in the presence of angels. The one who is in the midst of the angels is singing and dancing louder than all the angels around him. Because you said, can you pick me up? Can you save me? Hallelujah. Mm, hallelujah. Man, I love it. Watch this. How much time do we have? Are you ready to leave yet? I got 10 more verses. I'm joking. <laughs> First Peter chapter two, watch this. First Peter chapter two, and I had to start at 21 so you can see the train of thought. Watch this. For, this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his. In fact, <laughs> I will have that fixed next week. Where are we at? 221. He says this. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to God who judges righteously. Verse 24, watch this. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For or because. You were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. When Jesus presents himself as a shepherd, what he's saying is, hey, guess what? I am the shepherd. I am the overseer of your soul. I am responsible for your health. I am responsible for your wealth. I am responsible for how you appear to your friends. I am responsible for how you appear to your family. I am responsible. Stop trying to make yourself look good and realize that if you don't look good, it falls on me as the shepherd. People cannot blame you for how you look. Let me say this. People started being judged and condemned for being sick in church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> People started being judged for being sick. What did you not do? Don't you know by his stripes you, I've been saying it all day. You didn't believe it. Because if you believed it, <laughs> I mean, come on. we could go down the line. All of us, at some, most of us, maybe not the youth in here, the young ones in here. They don't know anything about that. I know about that. Most of you know about that, right? How sad is it when sheep get judged for being sheep? <laughs> sheep, let me say this. I love you. Sheep are dumb animals. They will walk off a cliff. <laughs> they won't look at the edge and say, I shouldn't go there. They'll just go gone. 
That's what sheep do. You don't blame a sheep for being a sheep any more than you blame God's children for forgetting for a moment. Oh, I am the righteousness of God. We don't blame God's people for forgetting for a moment. You're a sheep. Who do you blame? The shepherd. And what is Jesus? Don't blame me. The shepherd. The shepherd. Jesus is saying, hey, let me be the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And if you'll let me, what's the first thing he mentions? The only thing he actually says here. He says, for, to, um, sorry, for he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed for or because. By stripes you were healed because you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Let me say this in the name of Jesus. I declare that Jesus, you are the shepherd of sinner church. You are the overseer of our souls. And by the grace of God, there is none sick among us. You are healed by the stripes of Jesus. All of us like sheep have wandered off somewhere. And not many of us are still wandering. But in the name of Jesus, every sickness and disease is being reversed. And everyone said, Amen. hmm, oh man. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll share this briefly. Next, next time I share, we'll share the, the prodigal son. Is that okay? I'll share this briefly. Watch this. Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Luke 15, verse 8. And I'll close with this. It's the parable of the lost coin. It's only three verses. Jesus has just challenged all the Pharisees by referring to them as, as shepherds. How dare you call me an unclean worker? Who do you think you are? And then blame me for other people's mistakes. How dare you? (laughs) If that's not bad enough, then Jesus says this. For what woman? He calls them all women. (laughs) You have to understand the context. I I don't have time, but you have to understand the context. He just called all of them women. That was a great disrespect to them back then. That was a huge disrespect back then for them. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, you know, in the last one, you can kind of piece together where we're going with this one. But I want you to keep in mind. Back then, Jesus said this on the Sea of Galilee. And in the, in the Sea of Galilee, they've excavated certain places. They have found the home of Peter. They found uh, a temple that was built after the time of Peter. But there's also other places that they found that when they went in and they excavated, they found that the floor is very dark. Very, very dark. And the reason being is because when you would put the stones together, sometimes the stones would crack. And if you had anything valuable, sometimes it could fall between the cracks. So they would lace the bottom of the floor with tar or pitch. Okay, And the floors are very, very black. Now, knowing that, what they found was this. Sometimes when they would dig underneath to see if there were any houses underneath, because in, in, uh, in, in the Middle East, or especially Israel, whenever Israel was taken over, they would wipe everything down and build on top of it. And so when you're building a house in Israel, as you dig, you would find other houses. And you keep digging, you find more and more civilization underneath. So anyways, what they found was when they would dig some of these houses, they would find silver coins underneath, some gold coins. And then later on, they started finding necklaces with coins attached, but coins were missing. And then someone put the two together and said, wait a second. When Jesus said a woman, let me say this. Women kept the house, but men were the ones that worked in the field. So when Jesus said, what woman keeping a house? She has 10 silver coins. She lost one. On one hand, you can say she was responsible for the finances in the home. Okay. Now she's responsible for the food. One silver coin is one day's worth. She now has lost one day's worth of food. Who is going to blame? Who, who, who is to be blamed? The coin that was lost or the woman? The woman. <laughs> right? the woman. But also, women also had necklaces with coins on them. Now, if she goes to a dinner party that weekend, and she's got all these coins but one missing, <laughs> everyone's going to know she lost the coin. Now, who is the embarrassment? The coin being lost or the woman who doesn't have the coin on the necklace? Either way you look at it, whether let's look at it as the necklace first. He wears all of us like beautiful, precious stones. You make him beautiful, right? There's a verse my mom says all the time. There's a uh, prophecy that says, all your children, you'll wear them. You will adorn yourself with your children like precious gems. Mm -hmm. I messed that up, but that's the point. (laughs) All right. So what does he say? Hey, a woman, she goes to a party. She says, all these coins make me more attractive, more beautiful. But I'm missing one. No one's going to notice the other nine. All those other nine coins look great. (laughs) They're going to say, oh, you're missing one. <laughs> Likewise, Jesus is saying, 
A woman lost a coin. She searches the whole house, but the floor is dark and it's black. She can't find it. So what does she do? She lights a lamp and she doesn't leave the house until she finds the coin. Jesus is saying, I will not move on. I will not use the other nine people because you were left behind. No, you are a coin and a coin will always have the same value, whether it's lost or whether it's found. It will always be as valuable. So I will do everything I have my power to find you and I won't quit looking until I find you. I will light the lamp and I will search the entire house until I find it. And then when I find you, you who have not lost your value, you who have not lost your worth, you whose sins don't make you less important to me. When I find you, I'll put you back on my necklace and I will call all my friends and I will tell all my friends you were lost. And they won't say you lost the coin. It doesn't matter if they do or if they don't, because no one's going to judge you for being lost. They're going to look at me and say, let's all sing because he found you. Thank you, Jesus. That's why in a church like this, we say, look, 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 I don't care how they get in here. If they get in here, praise God. Not because we, oh, thank God, we found more people to fill seats. <laughs> That's not what it's about. It's about people coming here and realizing, wait a second, wait a second. He's happy that he found me like this. It's okay that I'm still struggling with this. It's okay that I'm still suffering with this. It's okay that I'm still sick. It's okay that all these things have been happening. It's okay, it's okay to rest in church. Yes. It's okay to let him love you. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's okay to let him love you. It's okay to be found in him. And everyone said, Amen. Mm. Oh, I have much more to share. But I knew there wouldn't be enough time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You are the great shepherd of Sinner Church. You are the overseer of Sinner Church. And Father, as an under-shepherd, I commit all of these sheep into your hands. All of these sheep into your hands. You are the great shepherd. And Father, I thank you that every one of us that has wandered off, every one of us that has stopped looking at you, even for a moment, and gotten lost. I thank you, Father, this morning you've brought everyone back by your love. Every one of us that is suffering with any sort of sickness or disease, you've brought us all back by your love. And this morning, by your stripes, we were already healed. Father, I thank you that even before we got to this point in the service, healing has already started to manifest in the bodies of everyone here this morning. And Father, I thank you again. I thank you again. We are the lost. We were the coin that was lost. You did everything in your power to find us. Our failures never disqualify us. Our failures never devalue us. We are still just as valuable in your eyes and in your heart. So this morning, Father, we thank you that you have taken responsibility for our condition. You've taken responsibility for our appearance. And this morning we rest in you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Can you stand? Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.